How does the good news of God's kingdom grow and spread? That's the question that's kind of been on my mind as I've read this gospel. And as I sat in the service yesterday at the cathedral too, um, I was tempted to go home and rewrite the whole thing based on stuff I heard yesterday, but I didn't get time to do that. And so I, I sort of offered today's sermon in a spirit of kind of inquiry and be really grateful for your uh, reflections and input on that. When Justin first became our bishop, some of you will recall that he got asked quite a lot in public, what are you going to do to arrest decline in the church? What's the strategy? What's the master plan? What's the magic bullet? And in various video interviews and so forth, he would say, there are no magic bullets. There is no big strategic plan other than everyone seeking to put following Jesus first in their lives. But then he would say, however, if everyone in our diocese was in the habit of regularly inviting someone from their church family for dinner, regularly, someone different, (laughs) and someone from their neighbourhoods who doesn't normally come along to their church gathering, our church gatherings, back into their homes for dinner, if that practice was a regular part of our life together, our parishes would be transformed. And actually, Tim Sanderson said something very similar yesterday at the end of his um, quarter in the service. I think it's probably true. And I think in those parts of our diocese where that way of practicing and receiving hospitality is deeply interwoven, good things happen. Think about people who are part of the urban vision communities or the blueprint chapters, where that practice of giving and receiving hospitality is core to what happens more and more signs of the kingdom are seen. But it can be quite hard for us to step fully into this way of life. We, many of us, live quite self-contained, well-regulated, busy lives. And whether we are scared of rejection or scared of expense or jealous of our time or jealous of our kind of mental capacity, It's hard for us to live that kind of lavish giving and receiving of hospitality. All of us do it, I know we do it, to different degrees. And therefore we know that it can be inconvenient, it can be costly. But as verses like our gospel verses today remind us, Jesus was constantly on the receiving end of hospitality, constantly responding to invitations, constantly dining with others, and as he did so, challenging the conventions associated with eating and hosting. Famously, a few chapters before this one, in chapter 7, Jesus knows, he owns the fact that people have said of him that he is a glutton and a drunkard. Or as the King James Version says it, a glutton and a wine bibber. Great, great (laughs) phrase. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Someone who's not particularly fussy about who he eats with, intentionally so. He didn't get that reputation from nowhere, did he? He must have enjoyed eating and drinking with all sorts of people. And so clearly the kind of The meal table, the conviviality of eating and drinking, 
the sharing, the camaraderie, the laughter, the being in people's homes is central to how Jesus brought the kingdom and lived the kingdom and taught the kingdom. The meal table was a central part of how he saw people, how he was able to see them and be present to them, and how in the process they saw themselves as able to step into the embrace that God was offering through Jesus. But the way that the eating and drinking happens matters. And in today's gospel, Jesus challenges several of the assumptions that can easily sneak into the practice of eating together. For one thing, Jesus labors the point that eating together is not an occasion for social advancement when it's done in line with the values of God's kingdom. Whether you're a guest or a host, Jesus says, you're not there to climb some social ladder. Often in the first century, I will say nothing of the 21st. (laughs) That can be part of what's going on when we offer and receive invitations. But Jesus says those eating and drinking in kingdom mode never stop to ask whether they are going to get repaid by hosting or whether the invitation is worth accepting when they are receiving an invitation. The guests are not to take the highest place. But I don't think by that Jesus is saying deliberately choose the lowest place as a sneaky, subtle way of getting noticed, the kind of false humility that is glorified. I think Jesus is just cutting through all of that desire for kingdom, sorry, for for sort of social positioning. He's saying people in kingdom mode just aren't out to be exalted. They are rather there to throw the tent of God's kingdom welcome wider. And so hosts in kingdom mode, but also guests in kingdom mode, are to see everyone as equal around the table. And they do so because God in Christ has left behind glory and honor and humbled himself to dwell and dine among sinners and broken people and to give himself to make them whole. And so when we eat on the level, it is an enactment of what God through Jesus was doing in calling a people for himself, a people who put the radical humility of Jesus at the center of their lives. I think it's worth saying that since equality is one of the key signs of the kingdom, then we, should, we need to kind of be really clear that eating and drinking in kingdom mode is not the same as entertaining. It's easy to think, I am disqualified from hosting others in kingdom mode because I am not good at cooking, or because my house is too small, or too messy, or my budget is too frugal. Kingdom hospitality is not about lavishness for its own sake. It might involve a degree of lavishness as part of its welcome, 
But the key factor in kingdom hospitality is the quality of the relationship, the welcome that is offered, the spirit of Jesus in which it is done. If the food is of a good quality, that is a bonus. <laughs> but it is not, in any sense, the essential part of what's on offer. Remember the Hebrews reading, show hospitality, show the love of stranger, as the Greek word says. Throw your table open to everyone. In the Transfiguration study, um, the Transfiguration study a few months ago, we listened together to a really helpful sermon by John Mark Comer about hospitality, what it is and isn't. And he kind of labours this point about some of the things that we are tempted to think of as being necessary before we can do proper hospitality. And he says, no, that's entertaining. Hospitality is welcoming others, sharing our lives deeply with them in Jesus' name. In verse 12 of chapter 14, Jesus then takes the nature of kingdom welcome a step further. He says that those hosting with kingdom eyes are to invite people who cannot play the social climbing game. They are to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. It's a challenge to his host who on this occasion has particularly been inviting people who clearly are looking to climb the ladder. No, Jesus says, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. The categories are not important in themselves, and there are some senses in which for us in the 21st century they have changed. But I think Jesus is telling us, ask who in your life cannot invite you back, whether through shame or economic circumstances or health circumstances or social status, invite those people, extend a welcome to them, for that is a sign that the kingdom life is being lived, that God's kingdom is being glimpsed. Hebrews 13 again, welcome the strangers, look out for the prisoners, act for the mistreated, the people on the edge, the people who nobody else wants to associate. I did a really intriguing piece on the radio this week when I was cooking dinner on those rare occasions that I was cooking dinner. Sorry, Mel. Um, the Los Angeles City Council was proposing a rule where hotels would have to notify the city each day when they had spare rooms. And then the city could match homeless people with those spare rooms. I don't know if this is good social policy or not. Ask Professor Boston, he'll tell you. Um, but it struck me as being really kind of well-intentioned. And they interviewed one guy in this little segment who said, who would want to book into a hotel room if they knew there was a homeless person in the room next door? And I was like, yes, who would want to book into a hotel room if there was a homeless person next door? And I noted my reaction to that question and felt, wow, what a good barometer of where we are on our kingdom journey, how we respond to that challenge. Now, I think there is quite a difference between a civic arrangement like that one, where a city council is trying to address its homelessness problem, well-intentioned and probably really good, but it's a little bit different from a kingdom relationship because in a kingdom environment, the goal is that the, the gap between 
those who have and those who don't, between those who are welcome and those who are not, is eliminated. When it happens, when a kingdom welcome happens, the very notions of them and us break down into a kind of radical Jesus-centered equality. This was most black and white for me in my time in Urban Vision. Um, and I miss the black and whiteness of that time. And now that it's all a bit more grey in the leafy suburbs, I feel sometimes a little bit bereft. So a story from a radical time, and then we'll think perhaps a bit about how we can translate it into the leafy suburbs. Urban Vision, if you don't know, is a, a Christian community that seeks to live amongst people at the edges of society and sort of does really try hard to reduce that them-us barrier. And I had a friend in those times, a really lovely guy called Mike, who'd been in and out of prison quite a lot. He was such a gentle soul. And he would come along to our community dinners and our community church service and spend a bit of time in our home. And he and I went to the movies a couple of times together. And it was so easy for me to want out of my largesse and my ministry of health income at those days to pay for him and his popcorn at the movies. And actually, I realized pretty quickly that that is not what Mike wanted. Mike wanted a friend. He wanted a friend who lived the kingdom equality that Jesus called both of us to. Kingdom equality makes us all equal in God's sight as we are gathered around Jesus, the great leveler, the great revolutionary of the upside-down social status game. It's pretty countercultural, and it challenges our sense of what is worthy and what is not, our sense of how the world should work, and reorients us on the Jesus way. You'll know which parts of Jesus' message you find hard. Maybe you are tempted to social climbing. Maybe you find inviting people hard for any of many very good reasons. Maybe you find responding hard. Notice that. What is it in me that finds hospitality hard to give or receive? Pray about it. Ask God to show you where there is room for growth in you, that you might live more closely in line with the values of the kingdom. I think one hard thing for us collectively is that, as I've said, our suburb does quite a good job of hiding the marginalised, of pushing them further to the edge. It prices them out of our community through high rents and high house prices. But still, they are here. They include the poor and the poor in spirit. The alcoholics and the elderly the victims of abuse. As we've sung this morning, the vagabonds and the don't belongs, the happy, the sad, the lost and alone. Jesus has a place for them all at your tables, perhaps as a precursor to being at this table, because both those tables are interconnected. How do we reach out to those who are otherwise excluded. One of the cool things that's been happening this year amongst us has been the great 
fortnightly transfiguration potluck where 20 or 30 students have gathered, I was going to say week by week, but actually fortnight by fortnight, at Ramsey House, including lost and lonely students, isolated and homesick students, where they have received a kingdom welcome and an invitation to go deeper into kingdom belonging. It's a good thing. And I said to Mika, Mika, how was the law ball? He said, it was great. I got to invite 20 people to potluck, <laughs> which I thought was a pretty good marker of kingdom health. <laughs> Ask one of the community of the Transfiguration students about their potluck. Ask about how you could support it, how you could pray for it. Those of us who are not involved, it's still good for us to ask ourselves as individuals and as a collective, who is God asking us to invite to the table? If we don't know, maybe we can take a clue from the Old Testament reading in Jeremiah, where Jeremiah castigates the people and the priests for, among other things, their failure to ask, where is the Lord? When we ask that question as followers of Jesus, we go back maybe to Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus tells us that the Lord is found where the least of these is found. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me. If we don't know where the Lord is, we can perhaps look for where the broken ones are and the vulnerable ones and the hungry, the happy, the sad, the lost and alone. In whose face, Lord, can we see you? Where are you? At the Parish Wednesday Prayers at the Cathedral, 12.15, be there. Um, as we were praying about sort of some of our parish's issues, one of the people there shared a sort of sense that God was asking us to look at the intersections, the places where we go along in life and others come to us out of nowhere. Because it's, thinking of the cross, this person said, at the intersections that God is often known. And I was sort of mulling over this and thinking about a time of a, a little while ago where I was waiting for someone outside the front of the parish and they, they stood me up. It happens all the time. <laughs> and I was just sort of like, okay, uh, what do I do? And then I bumped into someone who was a parish person that was cool and we had a nice chat. Um, and then I saw someone else at the bus stop that I've had a very tangential pastoral connection with um, who's an atheist, self-declared atheist. Uh, and then we arranged to catch up, and then we were caught up a few times, and then she came along to the parish dinner on a bit of a whim, and she's kind of, you know, on the surface, a reasonably together person, but actually someone who needs somewhere to belong and is quite lost. And I think that connection with her was reignited because I was lurking at the intersections, <laughs> um, rather than busily rushing off to do the next thing. Um, yeah, I think it's also good for us in the collective to ask this question and keep asking this question, where are you, Lord, as we edge towards more detailed design work on our beautiful buildings? And that means, I think, we need to keep staying open to options that help us promote the good news of the radical welcome of God's kingdom in ways that are not just about exalting ourselves in our beautiful building, in our beautiful Anglican liturgical tradition. 
And that might mean staying open to the possibility that our development needs to include accommodation and that we might need to make some of it designated as housing for refugees or impoverished students or mental health survivors or whatever it might be. Because, as Jesus says, everyone who exalts themselves will end up humbled. But everyone who humbles themselves will be exalted. And we want to be part of that. I, wonder, I was going to put this on the screen, I just ran out of time. But I wonder if you might just turn to your neighbour. I've got three kind of questions. And if you want to be on your own, just say, I want to think about this on my own. Um, but just ponder these three questions. Christian, do you want to make a slide and type them in? Uh, it might be too hard. Maybe I'll do it in a second. The first question is just like, what are the resistances in me to being really regular about rhythms of hospitality? And maybe that's one for quiet reflection. You can share about it if you want. What are those resistances in me that are resistant to, to regular hospitality rhythms? Giving and receiving. Secondly, ask, where is the Lord? Who do you see at the intersections of your life? Literal, metaphorical. The intersections in our community. And then from that, to whom is God calling you, calling us, to extend a kingdom welcome?